Oh, isn't Jesus wonderful? Yes, he is. Hallelujah. Oh, he's worthy of all of our worship. Amen. Well, we're honored to be here. It uh, is definitely a, a privilege for me uh, to be a part of this and um, just to be standing here in a, in a place that my father has been ministering in for so many years and, and just the, the covenant relationship that they have with uh, Pastor Chuck and Sister Glidell and, and, you know, they're covenant friends of my parents, and I just appreciate that, and um, I've seen a lot of things happen and transpire over the years, and I've seen a lot of people walk away, um, and I'm thankful today that I can say that th this family never did, and I'm just so thankful for that, amen, and, um, but I'm honored to be here, I believe that it's a strategic time, um, not just because I'm here, uh, just because I believe it's just the season that God has the church in. And um, But before I get into all that, I want to just recognize my family. I just want to honor my wife, Mimi, who uh, has been putting up with me for 16 years, and, uh, and I appreciate that. And our children, Ethan, who's 8 years old, and Lila, who's 5 years old, and uh, who's shy like her mother, praise the Lord, and pretty like her mother, thank you, Jesus. I prayed, I said, Lord, give me a daughter and let her look like Mimi, and uh, he gives us the desires of our heart, amen? And um, I'm the only Fontaine with a girl, and uh, so I, it gives me special privileges at Thanksgiving and Christmas, praise God, and my parents won't acknowledge that, but it's true. It's kind of an unspoken thing, we know. And... Uh, <laughs> But I'm just uh, so thankful. I'm honored that so many uh, pastors came. Brother Leitner, I haven't seen since I was probably 15, 14. I don't know. It's been 20 years at least. Uh, has to be. Uh, Pastor Danny, Sister Gail, thank you for coming. Brother Al, Sister Nancy, so great to see you guys. And uh, always good to see you. They came to see us in Florida a couple of times, and that was always a blessing. We were glad to have them. And, uh, and so we're just... Uh, just a little overwhelmed this morning. I'm so glad to be here, and, and uh, just the time we've been able to spend with uh, Clark and Gretchen at their home, and um, just continuing the relationship another generation, amen, and uh, watching our kids play just like we used to play, and, and all those things, it, it's pretty pretty amazing, and uh, so I'm just thankful to be here, and uh, let's just go to the Lord right now. Father, we thank you for just this opportunity. We thank you, Lord, for the gathering of your people this morning. And God, whether it's few or many, it makes no, absolutely no difference to me as long as you're here. And, uh, and we thank you that you are. You're in the midst of us, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that when you, uh, God, we know that you're inside of us and you're with us. But God, in the corporate setting, God, as we unify our hearts and worship you, we create a, a, a habitation for your glory to come. And, and Lord, we thank you that you are in the midst of us this morning. And we thank you that when you show up, Lord, there's nothing that's impossible. And so, God, you're able to heal any disease. You're able to touch any afflicted mind. You're able to bring illumination and revelation of your word. And, God, we pray that you would take us further than we've been. God, we know a lot. We've experienced a lot. But, God, there's so much more. There's so much more uh, to who you are and, and what you have in store for us. God, we, as much as we've learned, we have barely scratched the surface of who you really are. And I thank you that, Lord, you are unveiling our eyes even more today. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give us, Lord, uh, uh, the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of God in Jesus' name. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would be released in this room this morning. 
And Lord, that you would come and, and Lord, that the Spirit would bring life and truth. God, illuminate your word to us and in us, Lord. And God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word. God, I pray that this morning that lives would be touched and encouraged and strengthened for this, this next leg of their race, God. I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to remind us of some things this morning. God, things we know, but God, through circumstances and through trial and situations, God, we tend to forget, Lord. And, and God, I pray that this morning we would be brought into remembrance, God, of the things that you've done. Lord, the heritage that we've been given, the inheritance that we have in Christ, Lord, that we would leave here with a renewed spirit, God. We would, we would be renewed in the spirit of our mind, Lord, that we, would be, that we would leave here encouraged and strengthened, God. And Lord, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your name be glorified. Lord, as it already has been, I pray that it would continue to be in everything that's done from this moment forward, God, and even tomorrow morning. And God, I just thank you in advance for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're glad to be here. I uh, just just kind of give you guys a quick update on our family. We left Florida. Uh, the church there is doing well. Brandon is, is pastoring that, doing a fantastic job uh, down in, in, at the church that Dad and I started uh, six years ago. Um, yeah, six years ago in July. And, uh, and we're glad that, that Brandon is doing that, and they're doing very well. Uh, Mom and Dad, you guys know they're traveling. They'll be up here, I, I guess, uh, in September. I, I found out today. I didn't know that. And, um, and I'm glad that they're coming back up. They're traveling quite a bit. Um, you guys know what they're doing in China. You guys know what's happening in our family. But Mimi and I, in February, in, uh, in the summer of last year, the Lord spoke to me. Uh, I was preaching in Hornwald, Tennessee, and I woke up on a Monday morning after the meetings were finished. And uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I woke up out of a sound sleep, and I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me. Uh, and this is all I heard him say, Abraham, it's time to go. And uh, in my spirit, I knew that meant uh, that the season was going to be ending in Florida, that we were going to be leaving mom and dad, and they're, they're covering their ministry. Uh, and so I just kind of knew. I started preparing my heart then. I told dad, uh, shared that with him, and his response was, I think I know what that means, but I don't like it. And, um, and I said, I think I know what it means, and I don't like it either. And, um, and so several months later, God began to speak to Mimi and I, and uh, and then in September, uh, we were ministering in East Tennessee, a church that I've been to uh, more than any other church I've ever ministered in. Uh, and it's a little town, tiny town, doesn't even have a red light. We don't even have a red light in our town. Um, it is, uh, our population in the town limits is about 800 people. Uh, so it's a very tiny little place. It's halfway between Cleveland, Tennessee and Knoxville, Tennessee, a little place called Teleco Plains. Uh, the Cherahala Skyway is there. We have about 10,000 motorcycles come through there a year. Uh, it's a beautiful place, and it's God's country. Hallelujah. And, uh, but I started traveling there in 2010. I went there seven times in 2010. Uh, we have seen God move sovereignly in that church over the last seven years. And, uh, and then in September of last year, God spoke to Mimi and I both and said, this is where you're supposed to be. So in February, we moved there. We're working uh, in a church there called River of Life Ministries. The pastors there are Mitchell and, and Roma Payne. 
And uh, so we're, we're not on staff there. I, I just, I'm helping them any way that we can uh, from serving in the kitchen at Vacation Bible School to preaching and mentoring young, young preachers in our church. I'm spending a lot of time with them, uh, which I'm very passionate about. I love that. Uh, <clears throat> so we're doing that. <clears throat> and then once we got there, uh, an opportunity was presented to me. Five years ago, I met a man by the name of Keith Chancy. He lives in Cleveland, Tennessee. He came over to a meeting where I was ministering. And he came up to me after he's a prophet of God. And he came up to me after the service and said, One day <clears throat> you will be connected to Noble Hayes Ministries and New Life Bible College. And I just kind of laughed. I said, Okay, man, um, whatever you say. And, um, and every year I'd go back to preach. And he'd come to the meetings and he would tell me, Every year, one day you're going to be connected to New Life Bible College and Noble Hayes Ministries. And he, he would tell me that every year. And I was living in Florida no plan of moving to Tennessee. Um, I just was just like, okay, I'm putting that on the shelf, whatever. So what we didn't know was in December of last year, he was named the overseer of all of Noble Hayes Ministries and the director of the Bible College. Uh, and so he called me. They set him in on a Wednesday. He called me on a Friday and said, when you get up here, I need to talk to you. I went in as a consultant, just kind of just praying with him and figuring out I, I was using my marketing background, helping them kind of relaunch their ministry. And in, in some ways, it's kind of gone down over the years. And Brother Noble's 90 years old, uh, so he hasn't been actively involved in quite a while. And then his daughter passed away in 2015. So there's just been a lot of, of things going on there. And so anyway, uh, long story short, I was asked to come on staff there. I'm the director of their global campus, which is their online Bible college. Uh, which is a four-year accredited degree. Uh, we will have a master's degree by the end of this year. Uh, we have 160 students actively enrolled in that Bible college, uh, and I get to be a part of that. Uh, I'm a staff minister for Noble Hayes Ministries as well. Um, whatever that means, it means. And uh, uh, But we're honored to be a part of it. You know, I, I know that the Word of Faith movement uh, kind of got... Uh, into some error and some people took it in the wrong direction, you know, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, all that. Um, but I'll say this, the foundational teachings of that faith movement is the Word of God. And uh, so what I feel like God has put the mandate on our hearts in that ministry is to bring that, the, the purity of that message to a new generation. And so that's what we're trying to do. Um, and really the faith movement is really knowing the Word, speaking the Word, praying the Word, standing on the Word. And, uh, and that's what we're bringing back, amen? We're not getting into the sensationalized part of that. We're getting back to the foundational truths of the doctrines of Christ, that the promises of God are yes and amen to them that believe, that nothing's impossible to him that believeth, amen? That's faith. That's what faith is. We've made it really complicated. It's really believing in things that you don't understand. It's laying hold of the promises of God and not letting go of them we're going to lay hold of them and we're going to hold on to them until we see them manifest in our lives. Whether that's sickness in your body, you speak life, you speak healing, you speak health, you speak the Word. It's not, the, it's not mind over matter, positive thinking, that's not going to help you. It's not psychology. You've got to speak the Word. And we have a generation coming on the scene now. Unfortunately, you know, Clark asked me yesterday, do I preach in a lot of kingdom churches? I don't preach in any kingdom churches. I preach in a lot of Trinitarian churches. I preach in a lot of rapture, getting ready to get out of here, churches. I do. That's just the doors God's opened for me. Uh, I had a word when I first launched into ministry. I, I had several words and, about God putting me from one stream to another, to another. I was going to preach in, in Jesus' name churches, Trinitarian churches, pre-tribulation rapture churches, kingdom churches. God was going to put me in all of these different streams and teach me how to bring the message of the kingdom in every stream God puts me in. My message doesn't change. 
I just have to change my delivery of it a little bit so people will hear it. Amen? So we're doing that. And, uh, and so that's what we do. That's the, that's the mandate on my life. God gave me a word uh, uh, two years ago and said, I'm, gonna, I'm putting a mandate on your life to bring the message of the kingdom to your generation. They don't know it, and they don't. They don't. We have a generation today that is so, they're all into the flashy. They want, they want the entertainment, but they don't know the word. And so they want the experience of God. They want to come in and get their goosebumps. They want to fall on the floor. They want to laugh, whatever the case might be. They come in for an experience, but they really don't go into the deeper things of God. And so their experience doesn't keep them. They can't stay saved for more than six months. And they run from one meeting to another to another to another. And, and I know those people because they show up everywhere I go. And the pastor hasn't seen them since last time I was there. They come for a word. Give me a prophecy. Come give me a word. And, and there was a time in my life when I first started that I, would, I was very moved by that. I wanted everybody to accept me and love me. And when you're called into the prophetic office, that just doesn't work. Those two things don't go together. And so when I was, so I would step into the personal prophecy, I would feel the need for words, so I would let that motivate me, and God took me on an eight-month journey uh, three years ago. Uh, it took eight months for God to kill this thing in me. I would love to say I prayed a prayer in faith, and it happened. No, it was eight months, night after night, 2.30 in the morning, uh, God taking me step by step through the last few years of my life, showing me times in my life where I allow the pressure of man to cause me to step beyond the, the place that God had called me. And there were times that God took me to specific meetings where I would prophesy over everybody in the room and the Lord would show me, I stopped talking to you about 30 minutes before you stop. <laughs> now, God didn't strike me. I know my heart was in the right place, but ultimately I was allowing the pressure of men to cause me to step beyond what God was telling me to do. And so something happened in me, I, I, and it still tries to creep up occasionally, uh, but I died to my need for your approval. And it has liberated me, and now I can preach what God tells me to preach, and if you don't like me, take it up with Jesus is all I can tell you. Uh, and, and so that was a, a process that God had to take me through, uh, and it wasn't easy. Amen? And uh, so I, I believe that God, you know, we're motivated by, we, people want prophecy. Give me the word. But unfortunately, we've got a generation that want the Isaiah 30 prophecies, you know, prophesy to us, but just don't tell us right things. It doesn't say don't prophesy. They said to the prophet, the Amplified says, by their words and conduct, they said to the prophets, prophesy not to the seers, see not, lift not up before us the Holy One of Israel. But then it says prophesy to us, but we want vain words and smooth sayings. So people want prophecy, but they want prophecy that makes them feel good about themselves and their carnality, and that is not the nature of God. I believe that true prophetic encounters should be some of the most confrontational moments of your life. You should walk away having to examine yourself. Now, there's, there's room for exhortation, edification, absolutely. And I believe that, that prophecy should be that way, especially corporate prophecy. But I would say to you that we have skewed what edification really means. We think edification means you've got to build me up. No, I've got to kill the carnality in you and Jesus has to live in you. I've got to edify the Jesus in you. I can't edify your carnality because that's going to lead you to death. But if I edify the Jesus in you, that's going to lead you to life and peace. Amen? And so God is, is reforming. I, I, I just have such a sense that in the prophetic movement, there's such a reformation coming 
uh, in the prophetic camp. And, and God is really having to clean that stream. And, and I believe that it's probably one of the most polluted of the fivefold ministry is the prophetic ministry because everybody wants a word and there's too many people out there that are willing to oblige them to line their pockets. And that's just kind of where we are. And God is raising up a remnant of prophets right now that are, are prophesying against the prophets of the church. It's a divine confrontation going on. And the contemporary prophetic movement can't stand people like me. And I have several friends, older men and younger men coming in, into their calling and into the call of God on their lives that come in with a very confrontational message. It's, we've come to, to stir the complacent. The Lord spoke to me and said, the mandate I've given you in the prophetic office I've called you to is you're going to go into places, you're going to awaken the sleeper, you're going to be a divine agitator. People are not going to be able to ignore what you say. Now, what you do with it is up to you, but God is putting the church in a place where He's calling us to be the church He's called us to be. And you cannot allow the world to come into the church and think that, that's going to be, that we're going to be able to create spiritual, supernatural results doing it in a carnal way. It just doesn't work. I'm thankful for sanctuaries. I'm thankful for air conditioning and heat and all those things, and that's wonderful, but... That's, those are necessities. That's fine. But it's when we go into the next phase and I have no problem with lights. I have no problem with fog machines. I don't have a problem with any of that stuff as long as it doesn't take the place of the right, the, the gospel of Jesus being preached. Amen. 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 The, the reality is people are carnal. If we were in a building that was uncomfortable, people wouldn't come. Why? Because we're in America. That's why. There's 15 churches within 10 miles of here probably that have the, the nicest seats, the nicest things, the nicest sound system, and we pick out churches like we pick out easy chairs, whichever one makes me the most comfortable. And we don't consult with the Lord whatsoever. Well, I like the way that guy preaches, or I like the way that guy teaches, or I like that worship team, or whatever, and that's how we make decisions on where we're going to worship. As, and that's what we're dealing with as, as leaders, as pastors, We've got to decide, okay, are we gonna, what are we going to do? We want people to come. Here's what I would say. Do whatever you have to do to get them in here. But when they get in here, give them the revelation of Jesus Christ. Give them the Word of God, the message of the kingdom that's going to change their life and set them on a foundation. They can become the body of Christ in the earth. Amen? And so that's, uh, that's just really what... That was a long introduction. Praise God. Um, <laughs> I, I've come... This weekend, and I really just feel the Lord has been stirring my heart, and I don't, I don't have any deep revelations for all of you. I'm talking to a room full of Bible scholars right now, and I know that. And there was a time that would have really intimidated me, but I'm just as simple and plain and country as I can get, and, uh, you know, and I'm okay with that. So hopefully I'm going to remind you of some things this morning, uh, maybe stir up some things, the gift of God within you, uh, whether you're young or older, and, uh, and we'll leave here encouraged today. Amen. Um, I want to share with you just quickly a message message that God has just been burning in my heart, uh, and, and I want to just encourage us this morning that we're here for a divine purpose, amen, that God has you here for a divine purpose. I tell people often when I travel, because we have, we, we have made the, even our salvation experience all about us, that God was so desperately in need of us, and you know, the reality is God doesn't need you. God wants you. He doesn't need me. He's God. He can do whatever He wants to do. But He loves me. He wants me. He wants relationship with me. But the problem is, and, and you guys know all this, but you know when we make it all about our fellowship with God, and that's the reason He saved us, the problem with that is it puts all the focus back on us. 
Eldon Wilson said something several years ago that just stuck in my mind. He said, you can take any verse out of this Bible and you can put yourself at the center of it and it immediately becomes false doctrine. Because this is not about you. This is about Him. This is the revelation of Jesus. Amen? This is the revelation of Jesus Christ in this book. We find Him in the Old Testament concealed, the New Testament revealed. And I love the fact that when I get in the Word of God, I find Jesus from... The, from from Deuteronomy, Leviticus. I mean, these Jesus is in this book, and people don't know that. You would think everybody knows that, but they don't. We've got people who say, oh, you're just Old Testament. You're Old Testament. Yeah, I am Old Testament because Jesus is in there. Amen? I get accused all the time, well, you're an Old Testament prophet. You're trying to be this and trying to be that. I'm like, no, I'm trying to bring the revelation of Jesus in the Old Testament. His, his, his expectations haven't changed from the Old Testament to the New. We just don't have to do it in our own strength now, praise God. Hallelujah. But there's something that God has just been dealing with me, and I tell people often, you know, if, if fellowship was the reason we were saved, and that was the extent and the end-all, be-all of our salvation, the moment we got saved, the Lord would have taken us to be with Him. Think about it. Because in that place with God, when you stand in the presence of God, there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no tiredness, there's no worry, there's no strife, there's, no, there's none of the things that we deal with in this world are in that place of, of just pure fellowship with God. We get to stand in the presence of Almighty God. Think about it. If the extent of my salvation was fellowship, the moment I got saved, He would have taken me before I ever had a chance to mess it up. But He saved me and then He left me here. Why? Because he wants the revelation of his kingdom to come from there, here. And the gateway, Jesus is the door to the Father, but I'm telling you that the gateway of the kingdom in the earth is the people of God. It's the body of Christ. We are the gateway that God uses to bring the expression of his kingdom to the world. That's why we're here. So when, that, when we know that and we have the revelation of that, we need to really come to, to terms with that. And there needs to be a continual examination of our lives. Is my life really truly manifesting the reality of the kingdom of God in every area of my life? In my finances, in my marriage, in my, the way I treat my wife, the way she treats me, the way I raise my children, the way I work, in every area of my life, in my physical body, is the kingdom of God manifesting in me? And we can come to church and we can hear the message of the kingdom. We can know the message of the kingdom. But the reality is there needs to be times, strategic times, maybe it's daily, where you stop and you ask God, examine my heart and my life. Is the kingdom of God really living in me? Because you are the hope of the world. You are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. I had a, a, I had a vision uh, back in 2015 that got published in Charisma. Uh, and it's the only thing I've ever had published, and it and it just blew up. In five days, it got shared 47,000 times on social media. And all the Charisma police came after me. That's what they call them, the people that read every article in Charisma, and they pick them apart, and then they everybody that writes in Charisma is a false prophet. That's just what they say. And so I, I wrote in this article, the, the Lord spoke to me, said that, that the body of Christ is the hope in the world. Now, you guys know what I mean by that, I would hope. We are His expression in the earth. Well, man, I caught more heat over that one statement than everything I said in that vision. How dare you? Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is, and I'm like, really? Yes, Jesus is the hope of the world. But Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending a comforter that's going to come in my name that's going to empower you 
to be a bold witness of me in the earth. The Holy Ghost is not so you get goosebumps and speak in tongues. <laughs> I go to a lot of churches that are Pentecostal, but they think the pinnacle of their Pentecostal expression is I speak in other tongues. And it's interesting to me that if, and I tell people this, if you look at the words of Jesus, let's just go to the, what's written in red. What did Jesus tell us to look for when the Holy Ghost came? Power. Power to what? Be a bold witness of Jesus. So you look at Peter on the, the first time in recorded history, a man under the anointing and the infilling of the Holy Ghost began to preach a message. It was unlike anything that had ever been preached in all the world because for the first time in recorded history, Peter got up and gave bold witness to the resurrected Jesus. He declared the Lordship of Christ to the world for the first time and 3,000 souls got saved. While he was yet declaring it to them, they were being pricked in their hearts saying, Men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? And then you fast forward the next chapter, Silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And immediately his ankle bones gain strength. He jumps up, goes leaping into the temple. Everybody knows this guy is over 40 years old. And so Peter, for the second time, in recorded history. He just worked a miracle in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And all of these men gather on Solomon's porch. A great multitude gather around to see what has just taken place. And then Peter gets up and this is what he says with John. He says, why do you look at us as if we've done this in our own power? This Jesus that you crucified has been resurrected and made both Lord and Christ. And then he tells them, in his name and faith in his name, this man is made whole. And 5,000 souls were saved. That's what the Holy Ghost is for. It's to reveal Jesus to you and through you. He's the great teacher. The Holy Ghost is the, the Holy Spirit of God. It's not a separate spirit. It's the Spirit of the living God that lives in us, that illuminates Jesus to us. He's the revealer of Christ in us so that He can manifest through us. Amen? And when we understand these things, I just want to encourage us this morning, and I want to just remind you, you know, one of the greatest travesties throughout Israel's history is they would forget. The reason they continually went through what they went through is when things got good, they would forget God. I mean, he was dropping rocks out of heaven and killing more soldiers, enemy soldiers, than their swords did, and they would still forget. It's amazing to me, they just watched the Red Sea split open. They're walking not on muddy ground, on dry ground. They watch the enemy that's, that has haunted them and tortured them for 400 years, buried in a sea. They're singing, praise the God, the horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. They're singing the power of their God. And literally within three days, they're complaining. You brought us out here to die. It would have been better for us in there. Three days. They forgot that fast. As Moses, I would have been like, are you kidding me? Were you there? Did you see that? God just split water open for you. He just killed your enemies and you didn't have to do anything except walk when God said walk. And they forgot. And then throughout history... The history of the nation of Israel. They would have good times. They would have good times. They would have good times. And then they would forget. And then something terrible would have to happen to cause them to run back to God. God, we're sorry. Help us. And God, in His rich mercy and graciousness and love and compassion, He helped them. 
Over and over and over. And I believe that there is a tendency sometimes when we're living our lives every day, because we're not in church every day. We're not sitting under preaching every day. I've got problems just like everybody else has problems. We have seasons of financial struggle. We have seasons where our kids get sick. We have things that happen in our lives. We have times where Mimi and I don't want to be in the same room with each other. Can I just be real with you? We live a life like all of you live. And sometimes when you're caught up in the moment of these things, there's a tendency we forget. We're so busy, busy, busy. And I'm going to preach a message tomorrow morning, Lord willing, that's going to really challenge the people that are not here this morning. I'm just going to tell you guys right now. I'm not preaching it to you because you're here. But people that come tomorrow are going to leave here very challenged tomorrow. They may love me. They may hate me. They'll hear the word. I want to remind you who you are. I tell people all the time because a lot of the churches that I preach in, they don't have the revelation that you guys have. They don't have the revelation of the kingdom. They don't have the revelation of the nature, the seed of Christ, the, the seed of uh, the, 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 the Christ seed that's inside of them that produces Christ's likeness inside of them. Most churches I preach in, they don't have that revelation. So I, I have to go in and I have to tell them who they are and then I tell them this is... The secret to your success in life. It's not some book you read. It's knowing who Jesus is and knowing who Jesus is in you. And I tell people all the time, the enemy does not, this is the best kept secret the enemy has, is who you are in God. He does not want you to know what's living inside of you. I read a story in the book of Joshua when Joshua sent the two spies into Canaan and they go into Jericho and they're in Rahab's house. You know, Rahab makes a declaration to them. She says, we know you. We know your God. We know your God. We know how he parted the Red Sea for you and swallowed up the Egyptian army. She begins to tell them their history. She's a, an ungodly, uncircumcised pagan woman in Jericho telling them. We, she didn't just talk about Jordan. She referenced the Red Sea. It had been 40 years since that happened. And she makes a statement. She said, and our spirits left us. Our hearts melted within us when we saw what your God could do. And in other words, we've been waiting for this moment for you to come over here. And what she was saying is, we've been waiting for you to find out what we've known all along. God had just as much, he had always had the power to do it. But their unbelief limited it, tied the hands of the God of the universe. There's one thing that will tie his hands in your life, it's unbelief. It's you forgetting that God is inside of you. That God, the God of heaven is backing you. So when I step out in faith, I step out in the authority of the Word of God, in the authority of the name of Jesus, all of heaven backs what I do. And the enemy doesn't want you to remember that. He wants you to forget that. He wants you to get so sick and so tired and so worn down and so, so, so discouraged in your spirit and in your soul that you forget who you are. Because once we come to that revelation, once we know... What was the, the spies' response when we, they came back to Joshua? Let's go. We're able. He just heard their enemy's camp say, we, we're terrified of you. We're terrified of you and your God. And the revelation came to them, our God is able. 
Well, what happened? They go over, they start winning battle after battle after battle after battle, victory after victory. I mean, it was, uh, by the 12th chapter, 31 kings had been destroyed by the hands of Joshua and his army. 31 kings. 31 kings in 20 years had been destroyed by the hands of Israel and the hand of their God. They remembered, they came to revelation of who they were and who was with them. And the enemy does not want the church to know that. That's why he gets you caught up in, in all the, the circumstances of life and all these things. He, does, he wants you to forget. Because when you really understand the, the authority that's living inside of you, his, his kingdom is going to suffer violence. His kingdom will not stand. His kingdom will be pushed back. And I'm determined to see it pushed back as far as I can get it in my generation. I don't want my son fighting for territory I'm supposed to win for him. Amen. I don't want to die in a, in a wilderness place and then my son have to go take a land that I was supposed to take for him. I don't want him fighting for what I was supposed to be giving him as an inheritance. Amen? Amen. So that he can go further. He can take it further than I've taken it. My dad's heart is that I would go further than he's ever gone. And he tells me that all the time. When doors open and things happen, and I've been asked to be the, the face of Noble Hayes Ministries in the future of that ministry, I'm going to be on TV within the next six months. There's a crazy things happening. When I share that stuff with Dad, he's not threatened by that. He's not, well, that never happened for me. He's saying, go, go, go. Why? Because he's laid an inheritance up for me, and I get to take it and run with it now. Amen? Amen. We're partakers of the very divine nature of God. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll give you guys scriptures. I, I've already quoted a lot, but let me just read from my Bible so people don't think I'm a heretic. Praise God. <laughs> I've quoted a few already. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 1 says this, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The Lord has been dealing with me for the last year on the knowledge of God. Yes. We must know Him. We've got to know Him here, and we've got to know Him here. You've got to know Him in your mind, but you've got to know Him in your heart, intimately knowing Him. It's that place, you know, when, you're, when you build your value as a minister on your giftings, which I did for a long time, even to the point that I would even excuse carnal things in my life and sinful things in my life because I had giftings and I was able to do certain things, I thought that meant God was okay with me. I'm just being honest, I did. Because there was never a time in my life from the time of 14 years old till now, there's never been a time in my life that I couldn't walk in a room, start calling people out and prophesying everything that's ever happened in your life. That's a gift thing that I didn't ask for. I've just had it. My earliest memory of that when I was 12 years old, I remember sitting in a post office parking lot with my mom ran into to the post office. People were coming out of the post office and I began to see words appearing on people and I began to see one man walked out and he looked like a corpse walking in, and I'm sitting in the car just minding my own business and I'm seeing things like that manifest and when they come out, when my mom gets in the car, I am weeping uncontrollably because a burden hit my heart for those people. I was 12 years old. This is all I've ever known. So there was a time that I could, I could preach with anointing. I could even operate in a gifting. And I thought that validated me in my standing with God. And God was not impressed with that. 
One of the most sobering things the Lord has spoken to me in the last three years, I was in my time of prayer not even praying about those things, and the Lord spoke to me. I said, Lord, I need to hear from you today. And the Lord said, your gifts don't impress me. That's what I got. That's how the Lord talks to me. Your gifts don't impress me. And when you build your value by what your giftings are, he's more concerned about my character and his nature being formed in me than what I can do externally. Amen? Amen? So what I need, and the Lord spoke to me, he said, the greatest contentment of your life must be found in knowing me and being known by me. Think about that. The greatest contentment of your life cannot be found in preaching. Because guess what? There's times when I don't preach. I sit at home. My phone doesn't ring. And if I've built my value on my preaching, then I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am. I struggle. There was a time I would sit at home and I would get offended. I would get hurt. I would get angry. God, I've, I've, I've sold out everything and I'm doing these things. But God's not concerned with that. He wants me. And the greatest contentment of my life must be found in knowing Him and being known by Him. So we need a revelation. I, my prayer for, for this generation and my, my generation, the one coming up after us, and even the, the one that went before me, my prayer is that there would just be an increase of the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of God. We need to know Him because the Bible says that them that know their God will do exploits in His name. We need a revelation of who God is. Amen? So it says that, through the knowledge of God and, the, and Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. So I have been called by according to His divine power and He has given unto me everything that pertains to life and God-likeness. And you guys know this. You, I mean, I'm probably talking to people that you can read this in Greek more than likely and know what you're reading. I know who I'm talking to. But godliness, for those in the room that may not know, godliness means God-likeness. Everything that I need to, be, to walk in life and God-likeness, to be like Him in the earth, I find it in my knowledge of Him. And we have a generation coming now, they're divorcing the Word from their experience. And the Spirit and the Word are not in agreement. That's why you walk in a lot of revival meetings today and you're looking at things manifesting that you can't back up in Scripture because they don't care about the Word, they just want their experience. And then I go to churches. I was at a church uh, last year, and when I went up to preach, uh, I noticed they were the worst meetings I'd ever had. The worst meetings I'd ever been in. I thought there was something wrong with me. Like, Lord, what is going on? I, I mean, I'm not struggling with anything. Like, I don't understand what's happening. But I could not preach. It was horrible. And I found out later, it's because the pastor was mad that when I got there, I wanted to preach. His response was, he's a prophet. I didn't bring him here to preach. I brought him here to prophesy. We don't need the word. We need prophecy. That was his response. I will never preach in that church again. God would have to come down in person and tell me because they don't value the word. They want prophecy, but they don't want to know this. And I'm telling you, I tell people all the time, your experiences are wonderful, but when the hour of testing comes that's coming upon the earth, this is what's going to stand. 
When heaven and earth pass away, there's going to be one thing that's still standing. It's going to be this book right here. I can found my life. I, the foundation of my life must be my knowledge of this book. We've got to get this book inside of us. Amen? And so in our knowledge of God, we are given access to these, the, the divine power of God that pertains to life and godliness through our knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby... So by this knowledge of God, by this power of God, are given unto us exceeding and precious promises that by these promises we might be partakers of the very divine nature of God. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. If you want to overcome the lust of this world, you've got to increase in your knowledge of God. I tell people often, you don't have a sin problem, you have a word problem. Because the Bible says that if I will hide His word in my heart, I won't sin against God. The Bible says, He told Joshua, you take these words, you put them before you, and you meditate on them day and night. You don't step to the left and you don't step to the right. You follow the commandments that I've given you. And if you'll do that, I will make your way prosperous and everywhere your feet touch, I will give it to you for your possession. If you keep my words before you day and night. We need the word. We need it. So he has called us to be the partakers of the very divine nature of God. So we've been called to godliness, God-likeness, and we've been made partakers of his very divine nature. Everything that God has. You know, I tell people often, we are the body of Christ members in particular, and I believe that, but I believe that God has given us his spirit. I don't believe that I got a fraction of God and you got a fraction of God. I believe that when Jesus comes and makes his abode in us, like he said he would in John 14, the fullness of God is residing in me. God in his fullness. Do we believe that? I hope you do. And I tell people often, and, and I say, you try to rationalize and figure this out logically. God is the only one that can give himself fully to everybody at the same time. How can he do that? Because he's God. That's how. I can't explain that. If I, as a father and a husband, my time gets divided. I can't fully give myself as a husband to Mimi at the same time I'm being giving myself as a father to my children. Why? Because I'm one person. I can't be in more than places than one. I can't, if I'm fully being a husband to Mimi in that moment and the kids need me, I've got to say, hold on, I've got to be a husband for a minute, then I'll be your dad. I can't be both. He can be both. He can give himself fully to every man that accepts him and receives him at the same time. He's God. So that, that is liberating. That means that I don't have just some little fraction of God. I have God in his fullness. Amen. Kenneth Hagin, and, and you know, I study a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm watching videos. I'm going through all of the classes in our Bible college. I'm watching all of them. I'm listening to tons of things. Our master's degree is nothing but the teachings of, of Kenneth Hagin and Noble Hayes. And it's going to be, I mean, hours and hours and hours. Every book they wrote and every teaching they had. So I've been just inundated with faith, faith, faith. And the authority of the believer, how to cast out devils. I mean, it's kind of getting me back to my Pentecostal roots. Hallelujah. I was in a meeting in West Virginia uh, three months ago. I cast demons out of seven people in one meeting. Seven people. 
in one meeting came forward, and I'm not talking, I'm talking about demons manifesting in every single one of them, and they all left delivered. Why? Because God lives in me. But he, they, they, and you guys have heard this, but they say, you know, when, you're, when you are driving in your car, my car has more power than a human being. I can hit a human being in my car, and there's a good chance it's going to move them. Right? But when I'm driving in my car, and I drive up on a checkpoint or an accident or whatever, and that police officer steps out with that, with that whistle in that hand, and he puts that hand out, guess what my foot does? It touches the brake. Why? Because that man has authority. When he puts his hand up, my natural reaction is I've got to honor the authority that man carries. So my foot, my car has more power than that officer, but he has authority that causes me to stop my car. Why? Because when he puts his hand up, Donald J. Trump puts his hand up. The authority that they carry is backed by your local government, if it's a state officer, by your state government. And then it goes all the way up to Donald J. Trump. The executive office of our country backs that, uh, that enforcer of the laws of this land. The, the, very, the highest office in our nation backs that hand telling me, stop my car. Well, the same principle applies in the spirit. When I step out, when I come to revelation of God in me, I can understand that no matter what I face in my life, I can put my hand up and all of heaven backs what I do. When I step into the authority of the name that's above every name, that at that name every knee will bow, every spirit is subject unto Him. He's been given a name that's higher than every other name. The throne has been exalted above every other throne. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. When I understand these things, when I step out and I say, No, be healed in Jesus' name, be delivered in Jesus' name, be set free in Jesus' name, all of heaven backs what I say. I've been made a partaker, a partner with the very divine nature of God. God is just looking for people that will get that revelation and will actually pay the price to see it manifest in their lives. That's what makes it different because I can't live a life as a partaker of God and then give in to my my fleshly lust. He says here that he's given me power over those things. I won't even fulfill those earthly desires, those lusts of this life. And that can be a lust for another woman. It can be a lust for power. It can be a lust for money. It can be a lust for anything. We always think that's sexual, and it's not. It's, it's desiring something in a way that's ungodly. It's unhealthy. I have an unhealthy desire for these things. Whether it be ministry. Ministry can become a lust. The applause of man can become a lust. All of these things can. We want to be loved and accepted. We want to be celebrated. That becomes lustful. Because if you're not careful, it'll cause you to forfeit your nature. It'll cause you to forfeit your inheritance. And I'm telling you, God does not want us forfeiting for a bowl of soup, forfeiting our inheritance in Christ. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We will give up the, the, the eternal promises of God for temporary satisfaction. People do it every day. Not us, in Jesus' name. And if you are, today's a good day to stop. Praise God. So we've been given these great and precious promises. These precious promises. Precious is to hold in highest value. 
It's not common. It's you honor it. It's precious to you. I tell people often that the kingdom of God, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like, is like unto a, ma- a merchant who deals in precious pearls and he goes out and sells these pearls, but then he finds this one pearl and the Bible says that when he finds this pearl, he goes and sells his land. He goes and sells every other pearl he's ever dealt so that he can buy this one pearl. And I tell people everywhere I go that the kingdom of God, Jesus, because how many of you know, and God really spoke this to me this week, there are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. What makes it different is the king. This kingdom means nothing if we don't have Jesus. Jesus is what makes this kingdom work. He's the king of kings. We're priests and kings unto God, but he is the king of all kings. And I believe that my prayer for this year said, God, what is the word you're speaking for 2017? And this is what the Lord spoke to me. I'm coming back to the church. And I said, Lord, what do you mean? You're coming back for the church? He said, no, I'm coming back to the church. And I said, what do you mean? He said, the revelation of who I am is coming back to the church. We are not going to operate in a place that we are, we, are, we are operating absent or operating divorced from the very presence and the nature of Jesus Christ. There's a love affair that's going to be birthed again in our hearts for Jesus. We've got, he is the pearl of greatest price. I tell people all the time, Jesus and the kingdom are worth selling your field for. Once you know him, once you come to revelation of him, it should change the way you live. And... I know it's too practical. I know it's too, too simple. But I'm telling you, we get so spiritually minded sometimes. We get so, we get, we're so digging deeper, deeper, deeper that we neglect sometimes the foundational things where when you really encounter Him and He buys you, as we sang about this morning, it means your life should look drastically different than it does right now. I don't belong to myself anymore. He owns me. I've been brought from one kingdom into another and I am a subject to the king. He tells me what to do and guess what? I do it. For Mimi and I, that has meant some crazy things. It has meant making some crazy decisions and there are people, I know there's people in our families uh, and not my parents but our distant families and maybe even her parents a couple of times because they didn't grow up the way I did. I'm telling you there are times what God has required of us, it doesn't make any sense. Why do we do it? Because Jesus owns our life. I don't get to say, no, I'm not doing that. When I went to Florida, God said, you're going to Florida. Everything inside of me. I said, God, I'm going to be honest with you. My response to that was, Lord, I don't want to. I don't like Florida. I don't want to live in Florida. I have no desire to be in Florida. I don't want to go. And the Lord, and I I was even moving to another church. I was going to move to North Carolina. I'd already announced we're moving here. And the Lord spoke to me, and this is what he said. That was your idea, not mine. And he said, go to Florida, and whatever I put in your father's heart to do, you help him, and I'm going to prosper you. So we went to Florida on that word. I didn't have anybody prophesy that over me. I knew in my heart God just spoke to me. So we did. I canceled every meeting I had. We were traveling all the time. After 30 years old, we're stepping into the call of God. We're going to travel all the time. This is all I've ever wanted to do. And God said, I want you to cancel all your meetings. I want you to move with your parents, whatever I tell him to do. We were doing children's church. We were leading worship. We were doing whatever we had to do. 
all hands on deck. When you have a small church, it takes everybody. And I couldn't say, well, man, I travel and see miracles. No, if they needed a worship leader, I was going to be the worship leader. They needed somebody to do children's church during Sunday service. We were going to be doing children's church, didn't we? Why? Because he owns my life. We do what he wants. I know it's getting late. I got up here late. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you. Just kidding. So it's precious. It's very valuable. It's held in highest honor. It's dear to us. These promises are precious. They're not to be taken lightly. They're not to be discarded. They're not to be trampled underfoot. No, they are precious. They are dear to us. And something that's dear to you, you protect that. There's, I mean, I, I'm not a fighter, but I'll tell you this. If it came down to it, when it comes to my wife and my children, I would become a different person. Why? Because they're precious to me. They're dear to me. He's precious to me. He's dear to me. Amen? And so we've been given these things in Christ. Jesus makes all the difference. We find these things in Christ. It's in our position in Christ we find these things. Ephesians 2, 6, you guys know this. We've been made to sit with him in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. It's a place of divine perspective, and it's a place of divine authority. We've been granted access to it in John, the first chapter. John, I mean, I mean Revelation, the first chapter. Revelation, the fourth chapter. God, Jesus speaks to John and says, Come up here. Yeah. Come up here. I'm not going to come down to you this time. In Revelation 1, Jesus came to him. Revelation 4, he brought John where he was. He said, you come up here and I'm going to show you things that are here to come. And, and he goes up there and where does he see? He sees Jesus in a way he'd never seen Jesus before. He sees the, the four beasts with eyes full of eyes looking at him, singing the same song for all of eternity. He saw things he had never seen before when he was brought into the place where Jesus was. And I don't know about you, but I want to live my life where Jesus is. Amen? I've been granted access to that place through Christ. I don't have to live beneath these things. I don't have to live in defeat. I don't have to live in sickness. I don't have to live in poverty. Why? Because I've been granted access to the fullness of God. Amen. And we need to remind ourselves of these things. We need to be reminded. If you're not living in that, then you have forfeited something. Get back where God has called you. Say, okay, God, I will have peace in my mind. I will have health in my body. I will have peace in my marriage. I will have these things. Why? Because I've been granted access to the fullness of you. The great and precious promises of God are available to me in Christ. Amen? So it's time. It's time for the church to come to this revelation and really be reminded again. We're laying hold of these things. We lay hold of these promises. I tell people like a pit bull on a stake. You, I mean, you lay hold of it. You don't let go of it. You seize it. You arrest it. I'm laying hold of these promises. No one is going to take it from me. Jesus said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. He's declaring, I have something for you that the world can't take from you. They can't give it. They can't take it. But you've got to get so determined in your heart. I'm going to lay hold of this thing. I'm going to arrest this promise in my life. I'm not going to let it go. No matter what it looks like, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what my life is looking like around me, no matter how much money's in my checking account, I'm going to hold on, arrest these great precious promises of God, and nothing will take them from me. You've got to get determined and you've got to get violent about this thing. 
I preached at our church on Tuesday night. God spoke a word to me on a rise. It's time to get up and go into the place that God has called you to. You can't sit and think it's going to happen. You've got to engage this thing. There is an adversary. There is an enemy called the devil that wants to rob from you and steal your life and steal your joy and steal your peace. There is a reality of that. It doesn't end it because, because Jesus was exalted. The devil's still working in the earth. There are demons that torment people. They, that's what they do. It's true. You do have power, but you've got to exercise that power. We have to appropriate these things. And appropriate means to use for its intended purpose. We have it, but we're not using it. If I don't cut my grass, it grows. I've got a lawnmower sitting under my shelter, and if I don't get on it and use it, my grass isn't going to stop growing. I've got to do something. I know that's too simple, but God is calling us to use the tools we've been given and do something for the power of God, for the kingdom of God, in the name of God. That's what we're called to do. God has called us to be that expression of Him in the earth. That's what you're here for. That's why you're here. You are here to bring an expression of God in the earth. Well, what is God? He's love, He's power, He's peace. When people are around you, they should feel the peace of God coming from you. People should leave encounters with us feeling encouraged and strengthened and the peace of God. Why? Because that should be what's inside of you. You don't have to manufacture that. You just release what's already there. Amen? God's calling us to release these things. So we partner with Him. To see His will accomplished, we agree. We come into agreement. What agreement has light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6. What fellowship has light? We come into agreement. We don't fellowship with darkness. We fellowship with light. Why? Because you are children of light. We break partnership. We break agreement with the lie of the enemy. Don't agree with him. Listen to me. The liar has no power if you refuse the lie. It's when you agree with the lie that the lie becomes real to you. And I got news for you. Anything the devil says to you, he'll take a half-truth. He'll, you know, you won't surely die. Eat of this fruit. You won't surely die. Well, that was true. She didn't drop over dead immediately. Adam didn't die immediately, but they died spiritually. So he took a half-truth and he, he clothed it in something that seemed convenient. He made it appealing to their eyes. He, he appealed to them in their carnality and they partook of the fruit and look at what mess was caused because of it. But I, I'm telling you this morning, whatever the enemy says to you, how do you know if it's the enemy? It's going to be contrary to this book. That's why it's so important that we know this book. So that when the enemy says something contrary to this, you can say, wait a minute, no. That's not what God's Word says. And when I refuse the lie, the liar's power is broken over my life. But it's when I agree with him, he is given access to my life. So you break agreement with the lie of the devil. You break agreement. You don't entertain those conversations in your mind. What conversations? Conversations that lead you away from the peace of God. Well, I've, just, I've been battling this so long, I guess it's just my plot in life. That's a lie. You just agreed with a lie. So guess what? Here's the reality, though. When you agree with the lie, what's going to happen? You're going to live in that plot in your life for the rest of your life. It's just the truth. You've just empowered the enemy in your life. You just gave him permission to do whatever he wants to do in your mind. I agree with him. 
I say, open the door, come on in. That's what agreement does. There's power in agreement. If anybody touch and agree on anything according to the will of God, he'll do it for us. There's power in that agreement. Guess what? There's power in agreement with the enemy too. The only power the enemy has in your life is what you allow him to have by your agreement with him. It's the only power he's got. He can't just come in and overwhelm me and overtake. He can't kill me. He can't make me do something. But I, yet I've spattled things. I've done things. Why? Because I dropped my guard and I agreed with him. And when I did that, I granted him access and he was able to come in and do whatever he wanted to do. And he won't stop until you're done. You hear me? He doesn't stop. He's relentless. He will not stop until your life is destroyed. That's what he does. It's in his nature. It's what he does. He lies and he destroys. He's a thief. He wants your marriage. Hear me. He wants your marriage. He wants your children. He wants your health. He wants your peace. He wants your joy. He wants you to walk around in your life and he wants you to live your life in such, such a depressed state that nobody's going to want what you've got. That's what he wants. Why would anybody in the world want what you have? When in the church we have people that are just as mentally sick as people out there in the world. Why? Because we have forgotten who we are. And I'm not belittling things. There are certain things that's physical, and I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about the spiritual battle. I'm talking about when we just accept these things and we we allow these things. He can't do anything to you unless you allow it. I mean, I can take you to one example where God pulled a hedge and said, you can do whatever you want to him. One time. In all of this Bible, I can give you one example. Every other time when the enemy came to destroy Israel, it was because of their lack of obedience and their disrespect of God. Their idolatry opened the door for their destruction. And you guys are scholars. If you know of another example, you can give me one of the Lord saying, okay, you can destroy that person. They have no will in this thing. They have no, they have no decision in this. You can touch them. Job's the only example I can find. Every other time, the enemy was able to do these things because he was allowed in. He crept in unaware sometimes, but he's still there. And it's, it's these subtle lies of the enemy. It's this pain in my body that doesn't belong there. And I start getting, letting fear get in my mind. I let fear get in my spirit. I allow these things to rule my mind and rule my emotions. And we start making carnal, emotional decisions. And I've got news for you. That is not a true compass because wait till tomorrow you'll feel something different. So we live our lives like this. Even in kingdom churches. Doesn't stop because we have more revelation. It's there. We're responsible for more. I look at people that don't have the revelation that we have, and I look at them, and I actually have more empathy for people like that because they don't know any better. They've just been taught, just wait till you get to heaven. It's all going to be better when we get up there. Praise God. So they're just maintaining, holding down God. If I can just make, they've got their their fire retardant suit on. They're just right. I've, I've got my fireproof suit. If I can just make it to heaven, just make it to heaven. They sing songs about it. I know because I go to a church. That's there, there's just there's people in our church. I've got a group of young men that are around me. I'm bringing the revelation, of the kingdom to them, and they're getting it. But then we've got a bunch of old people in our church that are still singing, "I'll fly away if we can just make it to glory, glory land, Beulah land, sweet Beulah land." Those people are not going to walk in the overcoming power of God until they change their mindset. But when I, when I look at people that should know these things, but I see the enemy has caused them to forget it, I get angry at the devil. 
I get mad. Fighting mad. Not at people, at the devil, because I see what he's doing in their lives. And somewhere along the way, we opened a door, and the enemy came in. We've got to guard our gates. We've got to guard our minds. We've got to guard these things. Amen? Amen? We've got to guard these things. So we are called to agree with him, to partner with him, to appropriate these things, to lay hold of these things. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Paul instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Hebrews 6, 18, we're laying hold upon the hope that's set before us. We're laying hold of these things. We're arresting these things. And then by the power of God, Daniel 7, 18 says, but the saints of God shall take and possess the kingdom. Through this divine empowerment, this divine infilling of the power of God, the nature of God, the life of God, I have been called to possess the very kingdom of God. That's what you're here for, church. That's, what we're, that's why God put us here, to bring a, a revelation of this to a new generation that don't know it. All they know is the trendy songs that we sing, and all they know is the expression of these things, and they, all they know is wh- what makes them feel good about themselves, and so they reject. It's the whole ahab Micaiah epidemic that's in the church. Ahab told the prophets... I mean, they were prophesying. You know, everybody's worried about false prophets. I'm going to tell you something. Everybody's talking about, you know, the false prophets and, and this and that, and there's a lot of people that talk about that. I'm less concerned about false prophets, and here's why, in the context of the Old Testament. Because false prophets, in a lot of ways, let's just look at that story of, of Ahab and the prophets. They literally prophesied in the name of Baal. They were leading people to another god. That's easy to decipher. I can pick that out pretty easy. If I got up here and said, hey, we're all going to worship these flowers, you guys would be red flags flying up, right? We're going to worship the trees and the grass and the stars and the sun. Those are gods to us. That's false doctrine. That is, that's easy to decipher. But it's the prophets. There were 400 prophets that at a time where the true authentic word of the Lord was being persecuted, Obadiah is hiding 100 of them in a cave. Elijah's running for his life. In the midst of that culture where the true authentic word of the Lord was being, was being persecuted and murdered, there were 400 prophets that sat at Jezebel's table and ate the fruit of her vineyard and prophesied in the name of the Lord of Israel. When they prophesied to Ahab, they didn't say, when Jehoshaphat goes to him, they didn't say in the name of Baal, go to battle. They said in the name of the Lord of Israel, thus saith the Lord Go to battle, you're going to win. They were prophesying in the name of the Lord and they were prophesying a false message. And in the midst of that, there was one prophet in Jehoshaphat. Something wasn't sitting right with him. Is there anybody else? And what was his response? Well, there's one other guy, but I hate that guy. Why? What does he say? He never has anything good to say to me. So they go to Micaiah, and this is what they say. 400 prophets, they're led by a man who, I mean, he prophesies it. All the other prophets see that Ahab likes it, so they all start saying the same thing. It's culturally accepted. This is, everybody likes this. Let's say this. Then they go to send the messenger to Micaiah. Micaiah, everybody has said this. Now you, we know how you are. You need to say what everybody else is saying. Micaiah's like, As long as the Lord lives, I will only say what he says. As long as the Lord lives, I'll only say what he says. So Micaiah comes before him and he says, go to battle, you'll win. 
And what was his response? Ahab told him, how many times have I had to tell you? Only tell me what God says. He says, okay. I see the people of Israel like sheep on the side of a hill without a shepherd. He told him, you go to battle, you will not come back. You're going to die. Now, let me ask you a question. If I was to tell you, Josh, on your way home today, I don't know what route you usually take, but God has revealed to me you need to go an alternate route because destruction's waiting for you the way you usually go home. What would you say to me? You'd take a different way. And if I brought that message to you, what would you say to me? Thank you. That is not what Micaiah got. Next thing you know, he's punched in the mouth, thrown in prison, and it literally says, feed him the bread and water of affliction. I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound very good. And Micaiah is never mentioned again. I don't know if he died in that prison or if he got out. I have no clue. That was his little, this, his little segment in Scripture is to come in, tell the, the, the king... You go to battle, you're going to die. He carried a message that would have saved his life, but because it didn't appeal to his carnality and make him feel good about himself, he rejected the word of the Lord. And we've got a culture in the world today, in the church world today, that are exactly like Ahab. They don't want to hear the word of God. They don't want to hear you can't live carnally and expect supernatural results in your life. They don't want to hear these things. They want the promises without the condition. And that is not how this works. So God's raising up Micaiahs right now in this, in, this, in this hour that are going into the church and they are the divine agitators, the sandpaper that goes against the grain. I wish, man, look, trust me, I wish I could go into places and just say, everybody's great, you guys just keep it up. God is pleased with everything you're doing. I wish I could be that guy. I would be on TBN right now if I could say that, but I can't. I can't. Why? Because it's not true. You look at the state of the church in the world and you tell me that God's pleased with everything it's become. Of course that He isn't. But we're not critical. We've got to be a part of the answer. It's easy to pick apart the problem. We've got to be people that bring an answer. And the answer is we've got to get back to Jesus. We've got to fall in love with Jesus. Well, I don't want to do anything that would hurt His heart. I'm not doing it for heaven. I'm doing it for Him. Amen? Praise God. We're partakers of the very divine nature of God. Everything that you need that pertains to life and God-likeness has been granted, you've been granted access to it in Christ. So I want you to look at your life, and if there's one, I mean, it could be, well, that's minor. It doesn't matter. If there's any area in your life that the kingdom of God is not manifesting fully, then you need to get determined in your heart, I will see the kingdom manifest in that area of my life. I've been given access to everything, all things. That's entire, complete, whole, everything that pertains to life and godliness has been given to me through my knowledge of God. So if there's an area of my life that is not manifesting that, whether it be physically, spiritually, mentally, maritally, relationally, whatever, it can be in your finances, financially, whatever, whatever area it is, if there's something in you, then your own personal life that is not lining up with what I just declared to you, then man, start praying, asking God, God, what have I done? Where have I forfeited this thing? Where have I let this thing go in my life? God, I want to see your kingdom fully manifest in my life 
You know, we are famous, and it started, uh, uh, there was a Carmen song back in the 80s, and he talks about where uh, the, the devil's talking to his minion. I don't know if you all remember this, this song. But he tells them, uh, you know, remind them of this, remind them of that. And they said, well, we can't do that. And he says, well, I tell you what, remind them of their past. And what does the minion say to the devil? And it became like this famous song. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He said, if you remind them of, his pa- of their past, they'll remind you of your future. And he's like, oh, you know, and the song like builds in the crescendo. And it's like, when I was a kid, I thought that was the coolest song ever. And we have people in the church that, you know, our famous cliche is, I've read the end of the book and we win. I've read the end of the book and we win. But here's my question. Are you winning right now? Are you walking in dominion in your life today? Your best life now doesn't look like some self-help book that some man wrote. Your best life now is walking in the fullness of the inheritance of Christ in your life. That's what it looks like, amen? God's called us to do it. So I want us to all bow our heads, and I just want us to just ask the Spirit to search our hearts right now, reveal things to us. Lord, you are the searcher of men's hearts. You know us, Lord. You know us intimately in every possible way. There's nothing hidden from you. Lord, there's not an area of our life that's hidden from you. And so, God, I just pray for your people this morning. God, I pray that, Lord, I know I went longer than I was planning, but God, I just pray, Lord, that the message would ring true in our hearts, Lord, that it would pierce our hearts, Lord Jesus, that we would be reminded of truths that we've known, but maybe, God, we've forgotten and we're not allowing the, we, we have, have allowed our guard to drop. We've allowed, Lord, our, our expectations to change. We used to be people of faith. We believed, God, that you were going to do uh, supernatural things. And then we didn't see the manifestation, the materialization of those things like we thought. And disappointment set in. Lord, all of those things will cause us to forfeit our position in you. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would, Lord, reveal our hearts to us, God. We take our hearts out. We lay them on the altar and we say, God, search us. Search our hearts. If disappointment has riddled us and it has has discouraged us and we don't have the same faith we had, God, help us. We repent of that thing. Let faith arise in our hearts in Jesus' name. We declare, let God arise and his enemies be scattered today. Lord, if there's a physical affliction that's attacking our bodies and it's just gone on and on and on, then we've just accepted. uh, There's just we didn't mean to, but just through the course of discouragement and and all of these things and bad report after bad report, we've accepted this is just the way it is and it's not going to get any better. And we don't we don't maybe even say it out loud, but we really have. It's just what we've settled for. God, I pray that you would, Lord, reveal it to our hearts and Lord that faith would arise in us and we would say no. No, we're going to see the kingdom manifest in our lives in every way. I will be healed. I will be whole in Jesus' name. Because everything that he's given me, every great and precious promise has been given to me in Christ. I'm going to lay hold of that thing today. And if you've got something in your life that there was a time you were contending for, you were laying hold of those promises, you were quoting the Word of God, you were speaking the life of God to it, and then through the course of time, you've just kind of let that thing go and you're not speaking those things that you used to speak. Faith isn't activated in your life like it once was. If that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you. I don't have to lay hands on you in your own heart. I want you to just let faith arise in your heart. Begin to speak the Word of God again to that situation. Begin to speak to your body in Jesus' name. Begin to declare, sickness will not live here. This is God's temple. The kingdom of God manifests in here. 
And in the kingdom, there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no depression, there's no oppression, there's no, there's no uh, uh, divorce, there's no, there's no marital strife, there's none of these things in the kingdom. So God, come and invade our lives with your kingdom, the reality of your kingdom, which is really the reality of you. Let us fall in love with you all over again today. Lord, renew our hearts, God, creating us a clean heart that's not stained by disappointment, that's not stained by doubt and unbelief, it's not stained by sin, lust, whatever it is, God, creating us a clean heart this morning. Renew a right spirit within us. Hallelujah. Renew a right spirit within us in Jesus' name. Oh, God, we love you. We thank you. God, I thank you that your promises are yes and amen. Yes, and so be it to them that believe. Hallelujah. And I just want to just speak. I don't know who it's for. I'm just going to speak it out. And it might be for more than one person. If God doesn't specifically tell me who, oftentimes it's for more than one person. But I just want to speak to disappointment this morning. I just sense that very strongly in my spirit right now. That there's, there's people here. You are battling disappointment. Things have not worked out the way you thought they would. And there was a fire that burned in your heart that's not burning like it was. And you uh, don't know if you'll ever get it back. I just want to encourage you today. I want you to leave here encouraged that God is for you. God is for you. His mind hasn't changed. He can cause your latter end to be greater than your former. So I just pray right now, God, against every disappointment in men's minds and hearts, Lord. Women's minds and hearts. Where the enemies come in and cause hope to be deferred and it's making their soul sick. God, I pray, Lord, that Lord, that we would lay hold of this hope that's set before us. This hope that we've been given in Christ, that you are a God who keeps his word. Remind us of that today. You're a God who keeps his word. Your word does not return void. It accomplishes that which you set it forth to accomplish. Your word is not diminished in power. Your word is not diminished in power this morning. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I pray, God, that there would be, Lord, just in, in the, the logos of your word, but, Lord, there are rainbow words that have been spoken over lives that, that the enemies tried to steal the seed of that word in their hearts. When they were tried by the word they received, they became discouraged and they, 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 the, it was choked out in their hearts. I pray, God, that you would, Lord, resurrect life in them today in Jesus' name. Lord, that they would take the word they've received and once again they would do a good warfare as you instructed Timothy. Take the words that you received by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery by my own hands and with them do a good warfare. Fight with the word of the Lord. It's the sword in your hand. It is that rhema word that God has given you where God gave you a promise and you lay hold of that promise and you declare, I will see it. Whether it's children that are backslidden, not serving God, you declare the word of the Lord over them. God spoke to me earlier this year and spoke to me this very clearly said we're stepping into a season of prodigals coming home and it's been a burden of intercession in my heart for six months I've been praying daily for prodigals to come home we declare that sons and daughters that once loved you and burned for you will come home in Jesus name 
We declare they will walk in the promises of God. Our children, our grandchildren, the heritage of faith will be established and will continue in Jesus' name. We declare it so in the name of Jesus. We, de- we serve notice on the enemy today. You take your hands off of our families. You take your hands off of our bodies, our minds. You will not afflict us. You will not take over our minds. You will not cause us to live in torment. You will. This is the final moment. We declare by faith right now that the power of the enemy in people's minds would be broken once and for all in Jesus' name. We are rebuked the devourer right now in the name of Jesus. Right now in Jesus' name. We rebuke the devourer in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truth. It's life. These words are truth and life. Your word says that, it, that these words are truth to those that find them. God, we pray that we would just go on to a journey, God, searching your word, finding you, finding your revelations in it, God, finding out who we are, finding out what we can do, Lord. We're going to know our God, and in his name we're going to do great exploits in Jesus' name. Father, we just come against all discouragement right now. Jesus' name. I just pray for the pastors, even of this work, that are discouraged in their hearts for the lack of attendance. God, you had here who you wanted. God, I believe your name has been glorified. And God, you're going to do.